good to see you all out on this crisp morning. Uh, I have just a few things to say for your consideration uh, regarding women participating more fully in our worship. Uh, there's an in-depth discussion in the booklets in the back that Greg presented last week uh, titled Truth, Tradition, and Troubles. Uh, some of you have that, and there's still some available, and uh, we would encourage you to read that. It gives a very wonderful and thoughtful presentation about what the Scripture really says. Nearly 2,000 years ago, a great change was brought to this world by Jesus Christ. Back then, the consensus of the Greeks, the Romans, and the Jews was that men were superior to women. Jewish men, when they would pray in the synagogues each day, would often pray that they were uh, thankful to God that they were not slaves, Gentiles, or women. No Jewish woman would ever be spoken to directly by a rabbi, and although she could attend the assembly in the synagogue for worship, she had to sit apart, and uh, she was not allowed to contribute to the worship in any way. But then came the revolutionary change. Jesus' treatment and teaching raised women from the slavish position to which they were held in their society. Jesus raised women to their true, God-ordained moral dignity and importance. For they are heirs of the same salvation as men able to become adopted children of God through obedient faith in Jesus. True Christianity teaches women are no longer slaves of men and tools of lust, but the pride and joy of her husband and the fond mother of their children training them to virtue and goodness. She becomes a treasure and unifying force of the family, being the example in purity and humility, gentleness and patience, compassion and strength, love and faithfulness, all according to God's will. Sadly, even though Jesus restored the equality of men and women, um, that they had before the fall in the Garden of Eden, which described in the first part of Genesis, our fallen world over the length of human history, uh, continues and has always tried to say that men are better than women, are higher than women. And this can be seen throughout the world today, especially in the Middle East, uh, and in the Eastern cultures, women are really not elevated as they, as they should be. And no, even in our own country, it wasn't until August uh, 1920 that women even had the right to vote 
some 144 years later, when uh, from the time in which the Declaration of Independence was sent to King George, 144 years. So we can see that there has been an oppression of women. And we have been as guilty as anybody in our land. But Jesus is our example of the treatment of women. We must not discriminate against women in our congregation. We, we must look to scripture where we find that women do in, did indeed participate in Christian worship. Aren't we all one in Christ, equal in our need for grace and mercy? Sinners in need of God's guidance and salvation. Mark, Greg, and I plead with you for your soul's sakes to study your Bibles. There you will find God's truth and to find the way we must live. One of the passages that strikes me in this regard is in Hebrews 12 and 15. And the instruction that was given there says, look after one another so that no one of you fails to receive the grace of God. Our goal and our concern is that we all should grow up and mature spiritually. Uh, when we read and study to increase our understandings of God's will, we must do so with an attitude of repentance and humility. As we read the Bible, we must let it speak to us. We must not use our study as a fact-finding mission to prove what we want to believe. We must use it to be transformed. I think it kind of boils down to this. When we have vagueness about the object of our worship, we are inevitably led to making the way we worship the object. That is to say, our traditions around the manner of our worship and the tradition of who is allowed to participate becomes more important than worshiping God in spirit and truth. Uh, I think we've all experienced various church traditions. I've experienced a few. Uh, when I was a young man, a young boy actually, our family attended the church in Bedford, which was located on the corner of 12th and K Streets. And then in 1952, they moved to the corner of 12th and N Streets and became known as the Central Church of Christ. At that time, their tradition was that only deacons could serve communion. And that was based on the King James Version of Acts 6, when seven men were chosen to serve tables. The question is, were they wrong? Is that an acceptable tradition? They felt strongly that it was the right way. Uh, when I was a student at Harding University, uh, I went with a friend and fellow student who was invited to speak on a Sunday night at a very remote church in Arkansas. Uh, there were two doors on the front of the building. 
one on the left and one on the right. <coughs> and this seemed kind of obvious when we rolled up. But upon entering the building, we were surprised to see that all the men were sitting on one side and the women and children were sitting on the other side. Uh, that seemed like an unusual situation. It was different than we had experienced. We were also surprised when it was time to begin our worship to see a woman stand up from the women, went and sat on the front row and began singing the first song of the number that was on the board. And we sang three songs, had a prayer, and my friend spoke, and when he was done, we sang the last song that was numbered on the board and went out. That was their tradition. They had strong feelings about that tradition. I also had a friend a number of years ago uh, who fervently felt that Christians should meet in homes, not in church buildings, because the first century Christians met in homes. And so the question is, should we, in, in our efforts to be in the true early first century church, should we sell our church buildings and only meet in homes? Well, you know, those are questions we may, we may need to ask ourselves about our traditions. And I think it seems clear to me that over the years, and I think you can agree, as Christians we have created traditions in our worship, worship that are claimed to be based on Scripture, which honestly are only narrow man-made views. The problem arises when we try to force our traditions on others. You know, when we look at the nine of the 13 letters that Paul wrote, it is apparent that he was deeply concerned about the Christians in the churches that he established. And he's a good example of honest change. He formerly was a devout Jew, a Pharisee, in fact, and uh, he had no doubt that the Jews were the chosen people of God, and he was absolutely believed that he was doing God's will when he worked to destroy that group of people who said Jesus, a carpenter from Nazareth, was the long-looked-for Messiah. And in Acts 9, he got letters from the high priest uh, writing them uh, to the leaders of the synagogue in Damascus to cooperate with him as he arrested the followers of Jesus, also known as the Way, because they were going to take them back to Jerusalem. And they were going to, who knows what, they stoned some of them to death. To him, this was the right thing to do. But while he was on the road, Jesus Christ himself, it's recorded in Acts 9, appeared to him 
and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he asked, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus Christ, the one you're persecuting. And the events that followed this very dramatic scene uh, brought about a great change in Paul's life. He, he did a complete 180-degree turn and began preaching Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. It was an amazing thing that he was able to make this change because he was so fervent at first. But one thing we can say about him, he wanted to do God's will. And when he found out God's will was different than he thought, he was eager to do God's will. And this doing God's will brought, brought about a lot of difficulty for him, tremendous amount of difficulty. 2 Corinthians 11 describes in great detail uh, all the problems that he had. Uh, sometimes we think we may be persecuted, but uh, he, was, he was being challenged by some people who said he was a false apostle, that they were apostles, that he was not apostle. And this is what he said, and this is how he responded to them. He said in verse um, 22 there, but whatever they dare to boast about, I'm talking like a fool again. I desire, I dare to go uh, boast about it to you. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a man-man, but, but I have served him far more. I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, faced death again and again. Five, time, five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger in rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without even enough to keep me warm. Then, besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. So we can see that Paul uh, was a courageous man. And so when we look at the, some of his writings, we must understand what he went through and understand that his concern really was for those people in their soul. And he suffered more than we can imagine because of his stand for Jesus Christ. And you know, that's why in 1 Corinthians 9, he said he'd become all things to all people that he might win a few. He was willing to go along with some of the customs of the time, in other words, uh, how long their hair was and how they treated the feast and so forth of the pagan gods. He was willing to go along with some of that so he could win a few for Christ. And he also told the Christians there in 1 Thessalonians 
uh, for them to be an influence on the people around them, one of the things they should do, they should live a simple life and mind their own business so that they would have credibility to those who were not Christians so that they might be able to win them for Christ. And you know, like Paul, uh, maybe we need to see the light of God's truth more clearly. Paul wrote there in 1 Corinthians in chapters 11, 12, 13, and 14, and he addressed uh, head coverings and hair length. He addressed the problems they had um, about communion, which they were really messed up about. They didn't understand the great benefits of that sacred feast. And uh, they seemed to think that the spiritual gifts the greatest one was speaking in tongues. And they all wanted to speak in tongues, and they were speaking in tongues all at the same time and creating a, a great disruption in their gatherings. And so he encouraged them and told them and said, you need to do things in an orderly way and just let one person speak at a time. But then he talks to them about the greatest of the gifts that they should aspire to, and that's recorded in... Uh, the 13th chapter, very familiar chapter, but it's the thing we need to think about as well, uh, that we need to let love be our highest goal, not the speaking in tongues. And this is what he said. But now let me show you the way of life that is best of all. If I could speak all the languages of earth and angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. But if I had a gift of prophecy, and if I understood of all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such a faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It always is hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown language and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Now, our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the truth. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child, but when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but when I will, but then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Let love be your highest goal.
So Paul is trying to help them and help all of us to understand that this is the basis of how we should deal with one another. Um, and as your elders, uh, we encourage you to study the scripture with open minds, open hearts, like the Bereans that he's writing in Acts 17, who were eager to know God's truth, and they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul and Silas was teaching was true. Uh, I am certain that in your study of Paul's teaching about the faithful worship that you will find that it is done in reverence and awe, in an orderly fashion and in joyful celebration and that both men and women participated in worship. And also you'll find that Christian women were very active and in the early church. It is important in every setting that we encourage and facilitate the active ministry of both men and women. If we are to flourish as Christ's church, we must do this. We must resist the self-obsessed church culture that does not want to grow through the discovering new truth. We should focus on living and worshiping in a way that sees the eternal good of others, praising God, and do all we can to strengthen our fellowship with other Christians as we reach out to those who do not know Christ. Our prayer should be, Lord, help me not to be afraid of new truth. And help me not to cling to old truth half-truths, and help me not to have the arrogance to think that we know all truth. As we continue to study, we'll, we'll learn more and more about God's Word. And in Romans, the 12th chapter, a very familiar passage, there is a, there is a challenge that is put forth that we need to think about. And that challenge is this. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And the challenge is, the question is, are we willing to become a living sacrifice? Are, are we willing to give up our opinions and our preferences and our prejudice for the good of all? Are we willing to search the scriptures diligently each day? Are we willing to learn that God wants to change our thinking and he wants to show us a better way to live. This is something we all need to think about and something that we'll, we'll have to answer for, of course. I hope and pray that uh, as you study God's word that you will let the word speak to you clearly and that you'll do it with an open mind and an open heart 
so that you can see the reality of Scripture, that indeed uh, the role of women in Christian worship and the activities of the congregation of believers is very prominent. And I hope that these few words that I, may have, that I have spoken here maybe have motivated you or helped you to seriously examine God's will as we worship and serve Him and experience the joy and peace that comes from learning to love one another. Let us pray. Holy God, we are amazed that you love us and we thank you for your grace and mercy. And we ask that your Holy Spirit will help us to extend grace to one another as we work to help others in this community to come to know you and as we help one another to come to know you. Guide us in our daily activities that we will bring honor to your name. We thank you for all you've given us in the name of Jesus. Amen.